Hello everybody, this is Parash is Parash Matas Masay, and in Parak Lamed Aleph, in the beginning of the Parak, HaKash Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Go, Nikoim, Nikmas Yisrael, Me'esai Medyanu, Go and take vengeance from Midian for what they did to Klai Yisrael, Va'acharti Asif Alamecha, and afterwards you're going to go and die, and this is going to be your last stand. Now all the Rishonim want to know why HaKash Baruch Hu, so to speak, pin Moshe Rabbeinu's last act on this war with Midian. So, the Ramban explains, the idea was that Moshe Rabbeinu's job was to do everything that Klai Yisrael had to get done before they went into Eretz Yisrael. And this was the final thing Klai Yisrael needed to do before they going into Eretz Yisrael. So that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, once he was finished that, then Moshe Rabbeinu could die. But I saw an interesting idea in the Sefer Mishulchan Gavaya, they say in the name of a Ruderman, that we know that Kosh Baruch made the world with a balance, so to speak. That the Tumah and the Taira always has to be Zel Umazah. They always have to be, so to speak, at the same level. Otherwise, it gets kind of unfair. And we know that the Gain explains that's why when the Anshikans Zagdela, when they davened, that the Yetzirah, that the desire for idol worship, for Avayi Zara, would leave this world, Kaiso had to lose Nevuah as well, because otherwise it would be out of sync. There would be too much Kedusha, so to speak, in this world, so therefore both had to go at the same time. And here Ruderman explains that's the same idea here. Moshe Rabbeinu has to leave this world. Moshe Rabbeinu, HaKash Baruch Hu, ruled that Moshe Rabbeinu cannot go into Israel and he has to die. But since Midian still has Bilam, if Moshe Rabbeinu were to die before getting rid of Midian, getting rid of Bilam, it wouldn't be in sync. It wouldn't be Zela Umazen. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu is told before he goes, he has to go and get rid of Bilam and get rid of Midian, and then Moshe Rabbeinu can be Nesaf El Am, then he can go up to Shemayim. The Pasha continues, and Akash Baruch Hu commands Moshe Rabbeinu to take from each Shevet Elif Lamate, Elif Lamate. And it's interesting is the Medrash points out that there's a debate in the Medrash whether it means a total of 12,000 people, or was it Elif Lamate was actually. 2,000 per each tribe. Elef Lamata, Elef Lamata. And there's a third opinion in the Medrash that actually each tribe gave up 3,000 people. Elef Lamata, Elef Lamata. And then again, if you look at the next Pasuk, in Pasuk K, it says again, Vayimasru me Alpha Yisrael, Elef Lamata. A third time they gave, each tribe gave 1,000 people. Now, either way you slice it, obviously it's a miracle. Instead of taking the entire 600,000 men that they have in the army, Kaisal's choosing specifically to take only either 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 per shevet, total of maximum 36,000 people. And their body explains that the reason why Kaiso is doing that, while they're not taking their whole force, is because this is not a regular war. This is a war of being naked, taking back revenge for the Chil Hashem that happened, for the 24,000 people who were killed because of the sins. And only the Tzadikim get to go and fight in this war. This is not a war for everybody. It's only for the Tzadikim of Klai Yisrael, and that's why it had to be a very select number. But what's interesting is that the Medrash explains what's the shot in the opinion that holds that there was 2,000 per tribe, and what's the shot of the opinion that holds that there was 3,000 per tribe? And the Medrash says as follows. The Medrash says that the opinion says that each tribe gave two sets of 1,000, is 2,000 people. The reason for it was that there was 1,000 that actually went to go fight, and the other 1,000, they were in charge of protecting the camp. And David and Melech learned from here that also you're supposed to have an equal number of people protecting the camp as you have going out to fight. But the question is, what's the opinion that holds that there was 3,000. What did that third thousand do? That extra 12,000 people, what were they doing there? Says the Medrash, 
says the Medjish Kash Baruch was teaching Klai Yisrael that when they go out to war, there has to be just as many people who are going out to actively fight, there has to be that same number of people who are staying behind and davening for the success of the war. And that's how it's going to make sure that you win. You need to have 12,000 going to fight, 12,000 protecting the camp, and another 12,000 who are dedicated night and day to daven, and that's what it's going to give Klyestrel their success in war. In Pasuk the parasha tells us how Klyestrel went and they defeated the Midianim, and they killed all the different kings of Midian, and it speaks out that they killed Bilam ben Ba'ar Bicharev with a sword. And Rashi comments, why did the terrorists feel the need to specifically speak out that Bilam was killed with a sword? And Rashi explains, because really, normally, the weapon of Klai Yisrael is their peh, is their ability to daven. Bilam was from the non-Jews, and their weapon is supposed to be the sword. Since Bilam went, and, so to speak, switched it, he went and used his mouth as his weapon, his ability to curse nations as his weapon. So Klyestrel, so to speak, in a in a in a in a stroke of justice, switched and instead of using their pet to kill him, they used a sword to kill Bilam specifically. And everyone else, though, was killed through their Klyestrel's regular weapons, basically, which was the kayak of Tfila and Pet. That's the Rashi. The Chavetz Chaim, I saw in Sefer Chavetz Chaim Alter, he points out a thing though. He says. That Rashi is telling us that the weapon of Klai Yisrael is our pet, it's our mouth, it's our ability to daven to Hashem. He says, you know, we understand that every soldier who's intelligent and who wants to stay alive in war, he spends all his time protecting his weapons, making sure that they're clean, making sure that his sword is sharp, making sure that his gun is well oiled, because he understands that his life depends on the precision and the ability of his weapon to protect him and do what needs to get done. Says the Chavaz Chaim, the same thing applies to Kla Yisrael's weapon. A person has a mouth, and his mouth, a person has to understand, that's his only tool he really has in life to keep him safe. That's how he davens the Baruch that's how he gets miracles to happen. And that, he has to make sure that it's always clean. He has to make sure that he doesn't speak Lashon Hara. He has to make sure he doesn't use it to hurt people, because every time he does an Avera with his mouth, he dulls its ability to be there for him when he needs it. He dulls its ability to be able to daven for him and to get him his chesed. So something to keep in mind whenever we're debating whether to use our mouth or something proper or improper is that the more we manage to control our tongue from doing improper things and saying improper things, the more power it will have to get us what we need when we truly need to daven. In Pesach Lamedvav, the parasha tells us about all the different, so to speak, loot and booty that the Klaisro received after the war with Midian. And the Torah says that the Mechza Chilek Hayetzim Batzava, the half portion of those who went out to the actual fighting, the amount of sheep that they got was Shloish Meis Elef, Vishloish Elef, Vishivas Alaf, and Vishamish Meis. 337,500 sheep was just half of the sheep that they conquered during this war. And there's an interesting Ramban over there. The Ramban says, why is the Torah spending the time telling us all these numbers? Why is it relevant how much sheep they got? And the Ramban says a very interesting thing. He says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a miracle here. The Torah is coming to tell us that Hashem made a nace because technically, says the Ramban, there's no way that you can have the amount of sheep that were, so to speak, captured during the war. By the time it takes to bring them back, to count them, to divide them. There's going to be one or two sheep, 
if not much more than that, who will die, a couple sheep will be born. The numbers are going to change. So when the Torah can say, that the half portion of what they got when they when from from the warfare was exactly this number, says Ramban, the Torah is coming to tell us that there was a miracle that no sheep died and no sheep, so to speak, were born during this time and everything stayed exactly the same. Now, my Rabbi Baron Weintraub told me, he asked his Mashgiach, Rabbi Jacob's, he asked him, it seems like a very, so to speak, unnecessary miracle. What's the point of this miracle? And why is the Ramban kind of making a big deal out of this miracle? Okay, so there'll be a couple more, a couple less. Why is the Torah telling us Hashem changed nature and He made the oldest sheep stay alive from the beginning of the counting and the dividing to the end of the counting and dividing? What's the relevance? He said a very interesting point. He said the Nefesh Chaim tells us a very, very important thing. That when a person begins to do a mitzvah, and he has intention to do a mitzvah, and he starts it, what happens is that Kosh Baruch Hu sends down a certain, so to speak, or a certain light, a certain shefa, a certain flow of goodness, a, 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 the Kosh Baruch Hu sends him down the ability to be able to complete the mitzvah. What the Ramban is telling us here is that exact same idea, that when a person sets his mind and begins to do a mitzvah, even though it could be technically, it's not even possible to complete the mitzvah as is. Kaisa was given the mitzvah to tally up all the sheep and cattle that they won in this war, to divide it evenly, to give a certain part to the Kain, a certain part to the Levium, a certain part went to, the, went to the nation, a certain part went to, the, went to the warriors. There was a mitzvah to divide this in a certain way. Now, since there's such a large number of sheep here and cattle, these numbers are going to be off. But Akash Baruch Hu gave them a nace that you started doing the mitzvah, you're trying to do the mitzvah, I'm going to make sure that you're able to complete it. And that's something we have to keep in mind every time we start something, even though it seems like it's a big deal and it seems like it's way hard, way, way too weak to finish, we should know that every time you start doing mitzvah, Kosh Baruch sends down that kayak, that ability that enables you to finish the mitzvah, and you'll have the success you need as long as you do your part. The parasha tells us that Klaiosro was commanded the halachas, the laws of Kasher and Kalim. They got these vessels from the Midianim and they had to want to use them. They had to Kasher them before using them. But the Tegra, when introduces the halachas of Hechsher Kalim, of Kashering dishes, it doesn't just say simply Zeis Teras Hechsher Kalim. This is the laws of Kashering dishes. It says Zeis Chukas These are the laws of the Torah. And then it goes on to list the laws of Kasher and Kalim. And the Moshe Feinstein asks the obvious question, why is the Torah labeling the laws of Kasher and Kalim as Chukas Torah? Seemingly a very, very broad statement. That something here is relevant to the entire Torah. And the Moshe Feinstein explains as follows. He says that a lot of times in life, a person can daven, a person can learn, and it doesn't feel like it changes him. It doesn't feel any different. He walks out of shul feeling very much the same that he went in. And it bothers us. Why doesn't it do for us what we want it to do? Why doesn't it change us? And he says, the Torah is telling us over here a very, very important thing. The Torah is telling us in the laws of Hechsher Kalim, we know there's a fundamental principle, which is just as it was absorbed, it gets taken out. Which means that if, let's say, you use a dish for cold food. So, since everything was cold, it didn't really go in, and therefore you just wash it off, and you can use it now for something else. It never really becomes trafe, it never really becomes milk, because there was no heat involved, so you can simply wash it off and you get off whatever came in. 
if you boiled something in a pot, then to kosher that pot, you really have to go and reboil it to get it out. If you took a real open flame and you grilled something on a grate, to get that out, you have to take that grate and put it in a self-cleaned oven and really burn it all out. Because you used the open fire to put the flavor in there, and it went all the way through and through. Cesar Maisha Feinstein, this idea that things go in and come out the same way, is a rule that applies to everything that we do. When a person davens, when a person learns, but he does it cold, so it doesn't go in that far. He just washes off as soon as he walks out. If a person puts a little bit of energy into it, if a person puts a little heart, a little heart and heat and emotion and passion into it, then it goes deeper in and it's harder to get out. And the same way that when we do stuff that we like doing, we do with a full passion and we do it with a lot of energy, so it really makes an impression on us. Every one of us remembers that whether it's a Kit Kat commercials or whatever things you've seen, because we, we were into it, we were focused, we were living it, so it went and made an impression on us and we still remember for years later. If we learned a piece of Gemara, if we said to Hillam with that same energy, with that same passion, with that realization that this is going to change us, that this is something that we're connecting to Kadesh Baruch Hu, it would go in, it would make a difference, and we would come out different. Because just as it goes in, that's how hard it is to get it out. One end off with one last word. In Parshas Masse, the Torah lists all the different traveling places and camps that the Klaishal took throughout their time in the Midbar. But what's interesting is Torah does not make an explicit mention of Harsina and Matan Torah. And the question is why. Seemingly it was a very, very, very important part of our journey through the desert seem to be very, 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 so to speak, foundational. And yet it's being left out. And Ramosha in Sefer Josh Moshe explains because there's a big difference in everything that happened in the Masais and the traveling of Kaisral and Harsinai. Because everything we traveled in the Midbar, those are past events. Harsinai is something that's constantly happening. Every single morning when a person wakes up, and he makes Berachas HaTairah. He says that Kadosh Baruch Hu is Noisein HaTairah, present tense. Kadosh Baruch Hu is giving a person Tairah. Chaim Velazhner writes that if a person wakes up in the morning and he makes the Brachas of Berachas HaTairah and he has in mind that he wants today to be a day of really, really connecting to the Tairah, of not wasting time and using all his energies and, and his time that he has available, he wants to use it to connect to Torah, he'll have a different day because he's asking Akash Baruch Hu right then and there to give him a different Kabbalah of Torah that day. So therefore, says Ramayusha, we're not going to write about our Sinai as a past event. It's something that happens daily. It's something that we connect to daily. And the more we're engaged in it, the more we relive it every day, the bigger of a portion of Torah we're going to get that day. And we should all be Zeicher and Shem to have a wonderful Shabbos and a wonderful portion of Torah every single day. Good Shabbos.